I uh, wanted to start off, so some of you know that I am a science teacher. I've mentioned that a few times when I'm hosting. Um, I also got a minor in art. And now some of you are like, what do you do with a minor in art? Well, you don't do art because if you're good at art, you become an art major and do art the rest of your life and get paid very little. Art minors, we study art because we can't do it very well. Um, And so with that, um, one of the artists that I've studied over the years is, um, and I'm going to probably botch his name because I'm not an English major, Um, Auguste Rodin. And uh, he created a bronze sculpture, which many of us recognize. We may not know who created it, but we know when we see it, the thinker. And so it's been recreated um, a bunch of times, like keychains and little ornaments, all sorts of stuff. The thinker is very well known. Um, but it has been said by some that, you know, it was actually supposed to be part of a much larger series. Um, and so the, the thinker was also supposed to be company, accompanied with other sculptures. And I think we have a sketch here of um, the doer supposed to be next to it. Um, yeah, they couldn't get the doer to sit still long enough to sculpt him. Um, well, this week at school, you know, some of you have taken those uh, personality tests, and they've, you know, they do, you know, like, there's a bunch of different ones you can do, where it's animals or colors, or, um, but they kind of break you down into four main areas. Um, there's the thinker and the doer, which we had, um, but there's also the carer, the person that's nurturing, and then there's also the team builder or leader. And uh, this week at school, um, we have a new principal, and so one of the team building things he was doing is like, okay, I want you to self-identify where you go. And, you know, we're gonna, in this room, I want you to head to where you are. And at first it was like, okay, do we go to the specific, you know, like quadrant? Are we like to one of those? Or are we like trying to position in between? Because I fall squarely, very squarely between the doer and the doer. And... <laughs> So it was kind of uncomfortable for me. Do I walk straight there right away? Yeah, of course I did. Um, so the, the difference is at my house is when talking with my wife, and I love my wife a lot, um, she is a thinker and a carer. So she kind of is in between those two. And the doers, we think, we care I think (laughs) it's more, but so our conversation, she'll come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking that maybe we should paint our house. And I'm like, after I get done explaining all the reasons we don't have the money and why it's expensive and things like that, um, we're, we're in this middle of this discussion and she turns around and notices that I'm gone. And she's like, what? what does he do? Where did he go? And, you know, pretty soon she's calling me and I'm like, I'm at Home Depot getting paint, you know? <laughs> um, I, just my nature. I, like, I don't want to sit around and talk about things. I want to get it done. And so um, that's just kind of my personality. But we really need a balance in life. If we had all doers, well, things wouldn't get planned out before they get started. Um, and that's needed as well. Um, we need a balance in life. And another artist, um, Michael Grab, illustrates this exceptionally well. Um, he works with nature, and he does a variety of rock balancing. 
And if you've seen images of this, this guy does all sorts of stuff. And I, as a scientist, I looked at this right away and I go, that's easy. I know how he did that. I mean, he used rebar or glue or something. There's no way anybody could balance like that. But he does. I've watched a video of it to see, you know, like, and he's sitting there, like, holding all the rocks at one time to get a balance just perfect. And I'm like, I don't have that much patience. Um, well, today, we're going to look at a balancing act. Um, a balancing act, um, and I'm really going to look at really the thinker and the doer. I'm not going to look as much about, you know, the carer or the um, leader, although those are represented in the Bible. We're just going to kind of skim through the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is a lot about doers. Um, they're, they're all represented there, but if we look at the Old Testament, it's the, the people of Israel and what they did. So it's resulting in a lot of doing. Um, we look at Moses, and in, oh, Moses, is when he was first grown up and leading, um, it says that he killed an Egyptian. That, that's one of those things where they're doing something that's not so good. But then you have Moses, he gets out in the, um, to Midian, and he's out in the uh, herding sheep after he ran away. And we have the fact that he um, talked to God at the burning bush. He's sitting there talking with God. Then he leads the people out. of. He goes back, talks to Pharaoh. He leads the people out of, Israel, out of um, Egypt to the promised land. That's another action thing. I'm like, all right, I'm behind this. We have Moses striking the rock two times. We have um, Moses then leading people up to the promised land. But because of his actions, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. We have Joshua. The people, um, he led the people into the promised land, marched around Jericho. I mean, like, that's like action-oriented, but like, really? That's how we're getting into the cities? We're just going to march around every day? That seems a little, little crazy. We have judges, where 12 judges were raised up to help an Israel nation, Israelite nation that had turned its back on God numerous times and been overthrown by enemy armies. We have Saul for good times and not so good times in all his actions. We have David who had a heart after God but also sinned in some egregious ways. Well, the Old Testament has a lot of doers and it has some thinkers in there too as we look through that. But when we get to the New Testament, we kind of shift that um, paradigm. We shift from thinkers um, to thinkers of good and thinkers of themselves. Because I don't really consider thinkers bad. I think just where their focus is. So in the New Testament, we have John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist, as we know, he went out and he's calling people to repent. That's an inward look at your own life. And then be baptized. We have Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's just a, a list so long of blessed are the poor. That's not an action step. Blessed are those who mourn, who are meek, who are merciful. Blessed are the pure at heart and the peacemakers. He talks about salt and light. He talks about murder and the consequences. He talks about divorce and he talks about love. 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing. Love them. Well, then you get into the parables of Jesus. There's a lot of thinking there. I mean, it's stories. Let me relate something to you. And so much so thinking that at the end of each story, the disciples are going, hey, what did he mean? I don't get it. Do you? And Jesus is like, okay, guys, let me explain. I'll explain this. So he explains this stuff to them. You have the feeding of the 5,000 and feeding of the 4,000, which are action steps, but at the same time, they're things that gets done and the disciples are like, how did this happen? He's like, collect the baskets. How many are there? You know, it's a learning moment for the disciples. Everything that Jesus did seemed to be a lesson for his disciples. Then we have Peter, a man of action. We have um, Peter, when Jesus walks to him on the boat, and there, you know, the storm, and it's during the night, Peter, you know, all the disciples are on the boat going across the lake, and here comes Jesus, you know, like, and Peter says, hey, if it's you, Jesus, let me come to you, and he's like, come, Peter. Peter steps out, like man of action, walking out in the water, and what happens? He thinks. That was the problem for Peter. When he thinks, he got in trouble half the time. Um, so Peter thinks and he, he realizes there's, oh, there's waves and he gets nervous and, and he, he starts going down and he calls out to Jesus. We have Peter when Jesus is arrested. He also did some spontaneous things, not so good. He strikes out at the high priest's head and gets his ear and says, Jesus heals him. There's a, there's a thinking moment for Peter. Right after that, Jesus is being persecuted and, and Peter's standing nearby and he denies Jesus three times. And I think that's one of those action things where they're like, hey, aren't you with him? And he's fearful for himself. It's a, you know, kind of a contemplative, he probably more response than anything. He says, no, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. Not me. And then we get Peter after that, after Jesus has died and resurrected. And Jesus reinstates Peter, and three times, just like the three times that he denied him, three times he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. That's a heart thing, a thing where Peter had to think about it. Then we have the book of Acts where... Um, Sorry, Peter needed, uh, needed balance. We have, sorry, next is Mary and Martha. This is like the golden example for those thinkers, you know, and like, like to talk. Because Mary and Martha are there with Jesus, and, and Martha is, you know, doing the work, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's like, come on, Jesus, she should help me. And he's like, she's doing what's better. Okay? She's, she's sitting there and listening to Jesus. Jesus shows us the way. We have the book of Acts, and there's a lot in the Acts about creation of the early church, but there's also a lot of discussion. You have arguments between the, the uh, disciples and apostles and, and what's going on in the creation of the church. We also have the letters of Paul, where we, I think we get the thinker from. Paul was a deep thinker. You, when we read through the epistles, it's it's things that we have to sit and go, oh, I, I'm going to read one or two verses because it's a lot. 
And then we come to the book of James, practical faith. And James is the doer. When, when Donnie said we were going to talk about James, I was excited. And, and he asked, would you speak? And I thought, working on my master's right now. And, but I agreed because um, I wanted to help out. And it's one of my favorite books. And, and so um, last week, um, we, were, we covered James 5, 1 through 6. And it ends, you know, keeping in mind, when a letter showed up at a city, when somebody would write a letter back then, a letter was an exciting thing to get because they were rare. It's kind of like letters are becoming now. Um, emails are very common. Everybody gets an email and they're like, oh, more email. But if you get a letter in the mail, a handwritten letter, people are excited. I know at our house, if there's something that comes handwritten, the kids bring it in like, look, look, we've got a letter. It's exciting. It's because it's rare now. And back then, it was even more rare. And so when a letter would come, a a written letter would come to a city, um, it would be read at the city gate or at the synagogue where all the people would hear. And so as we look at verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 last week um, that Kylan went over, um, it was a lot of it I I take as addressed to the non-believers in the audience. Um, We look at specifically at verse 6, and it ends, and I'm going to jump on Kylan since he took part of mine. I'm going to take part of his. Um, It ends with, uh, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Now, when it looks, when we say that, you've condemned the righteous, not a righteous, it's referring to Jesus. And it wasn't the Christians that would be the ones that murdered Jesus. It wasn't the disciples or the apostles. It was the Jews. It was the people that are there that are like, we don't believe in this Jesus guy. He's saying, no, you're the ones that did this. And so, that brings us to this week, the doer action stuff. James 5, verse 7. Be patient. That's not action. I read this, and I thought, Donnie, what have you given me? When I get up here and host, the biggest thing that I talk, the thing I talk about the most is my lack of patience. How could he give me this passage? I need a balance. James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Well, the word patient in Greek is um, mukrothemeo, which means long-tempered and delaying taking action. Now, those are, again, we see a kind of a balance. A balance of being long-tempered so, and slow to take action. 
waiting also it refers to waiting for the Lord and then later on in the verse, not grumbling. There's another balancing act. Growing up as a farmer, um, I can understand this patience that he's calling us to. Um, You cannot make crops grow faster. You can't sit there and go, I'm just going to stand by them. In fact, you know, there's an old saying about, you know, watch pot never boils. It's the same thing with farming. (laughs) Um, You know, it's the the fields are never ripe if you sit there and watch them. Um, I think the, I remember many years of, you know, the rains would keep coming or, you know, it's it's a wet and cool summer and we're wondering if we're going to be able to get the harvest in. But in Israel, in that area, the rains come at different times than we have here. Um, they have a early rain, and then they have a long, hot, dry period, and then they have a late rain. And the farmers there, actually, the people that are growing crops and stuff, they actually wait for the, the second rain because their crops will not finish out, where they won't fill out and produce their harvest prior to this, the late rains. And so when it says, um, in verse 7, it says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives it early and the late rains. They have to wait for that second rain before they can harvest, or the fruit will not be filled out. Um, in the same way of waiting for the Lord, we need to be patient in our waiting. We need to be patient when it comes to the struggles we have, because sometimes there's things that bother us, things that bother us, and we want to take care of it right now. Maybe there's a, a coworker or a boss even that is, you know, causing you problems, Maybe it's the slow driver in front of you when you're late. I'm not going to say you should have left earlier, but you know. Um, Maybe it's the person in front of you in the express line that has 11 things in their basket when they know it's only 10. (laughs) You know, um, when it says to be patient, the the question is, and it says actually here in the end of... uh, uh, in the end of verse nine, uh, 8, it says, For the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is James writing this thousands of years ago. Any day now, Jesus is coming back. And the same still holds true. Jesus is coming back. So, can you wait till tomorrow to deal with this? You have a coworker that's really bothering. Can you make it through one more day? It's a struggle, I know. Can you make it just till tomorrow? And here's the thing. If the Lord doesn't come back tomorrow, can you make it one more day? One more day. We can make it through today. Well, in verse 10... Um, James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard um, of the steadfastness of Job 
and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, the first thing he does there is he mentions the prophets who, you know, if we look back at the Old Testament, um, there's a lot we could pick from, but we don't even have to look that far. You see, in the previous book, Hebrews, they do this great job of outlining and kind of giving us a brief summary of all the prophets. In Hebrews 11.32, it says, Hebrews 11.32 says, for, you, uh, for what more shall I say? For time would fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept their release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. When we look through that list, it is heartbreaking what happened to people that were serving the Lord. James doesn't even mention them by name. He says, oh, the prophets. Then he goes on to one more that's not mentioned in this list. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Job wasn't a doer. James, come on, you're hurting me here. Job was the contemplator. He was the th person that sat in ashes while his friends complained about it. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm going to, you know, these bad things are happening, but I trust in the Lord. And we often think of the suffering of Job and go, oh, Satan was just after him. I can't believe that. But the one thing that we often overlook when we're looking at that is Job chapter 1. And the reality is, is, is God is there. And it says Satan came into the presence of God. And God says, where have you been? He says, I was walking to and fro on the earth. God says, have you considered Job? You want to check him out? Because Job is awesome. It wasn't Satan going, I want to get Job. It was God going, hey, try him. Have you ever felt like you're being attacked? Have you ever felt like you're being persecuted or, or just bad things are happening? Maybe that is not Satan going, I'm going to get him. But it's God saying, you know what? I'm going to give you an example, a time where you can be an example to others by your patience. By your example, you are going to point people to me. 
God's saying, go ahead, Satan. You can try him. Try my people out. It's hard for anything for us to swallow sometimes that that may be happening to us. And it points me to some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, and it comes from James 1, 2 through 4. I love these verses. Count, of, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, so you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. And let, this, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we have trials... It's helping making us better. It's helping us to be better because of what God is doing in us. Um, we're going to finish out the section on James today, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, that I'm covering. Um, and James 12 is kind of like this, it seems to be like this standalone verse that is kind of, it's, it's like doesn't fit with the previous. It says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by an oath, or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, an oath in biblical times was um, something that people would do. They would make an oath and they would say, buy this or buy that. Or, you know, they'd, they'd make these promises. But what the promise was is saying that this person will be able to enforce it if I don't follow through. And in the, with the Pharisees, um, they... <laughs> They were very tricky um, because back then a lot of them would use oaths to get around actually being held accountable. Um, you see, they would <laughs> make promises, but they could only be held accountable under the law if they promised by God. Now, if they made an oath and they promised by His throne or by heaven or by anything on earth or the temple or anything like that. They couldn't be held accountable under the law. Only if they said, I make an oath under God. And so they would parse their words very carefully to be able to get around this. Well, James here says, don't make oaths. Don't swear by anything. Just do what you say you're going to do. And I think this also brings us to a balancing act. Because we have on one side, do what you say you're going to do. Just do it. Don't, don't say, oh, I promise. And we've all, heard, we've all heard, as you know, kids are notorious for this. I promise. Anytime a kid says that, I just go. And, and not because of the biblical, but because I think, oh, that means they have a question they're their uh, truthfulness is called into question if they have to say that. I promise. Oh, I swear. I swear it's true. Well, the balancing act of James saying, do what you're going to say you're going to do, 
but also be patient and wait for the Lord. Sometimes our impatience brings us to say, oh, I'll do this without waiting to hear from the Lord. Sometimes we just need to wait and hear from the Lord. Well, we're going to get out of here early today as we close. Um, I'm going to read Matthew um, eleven twenty-eight through 30. And Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, um, Jesus says here, Come to me, all of you who labor, who are heavily burdened, heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and low in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to think about the balancing act because sometimes we're taking on all of the burden on ourselves saying, I can do this. I'm going to... And we, we tend to try and force things to happen. Are we letting ourselves be yoked to God? Maybe it's with your finances. Are you holding on to your money for dear life? Are you trusting in God? Maybe it's relationships. Are you... Are you trusting in God for resolution or are you holding on to something you shouldn't? Maybe it's emotions. Are you being tossed around by everything? Or are you finding God's peace? Or maybe it's your actions. Are you charging ahead? Hold that one. Without listening sometimes to that still small voice. Will you pray with me? Lord, Lord, we want to be yoked to you because life without you is a burden we have trouble carrying. And sometimes we might be able to take a few steps on our own, but Lord, when we look to you, Lord, when we look to you and trust in you, we see that the burden is light. Lord, I pray that you would this week help us to have your eyes, to be able to see, Lord, to see where you're coming alongside us. Lord, help us to know how to be patient. Help us to look to the people that have gone before us, Lord, and endured much worse than we have. Lord, give us your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.